the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free. My shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory. Be overcome by your presence. 
God, King of all the earth, as I bring this word today, I ask that all foolishness would be removed from our hearts and our minds, that we could soberly consider what it means to be a Christian. I ask for your Holy Spirit to come. I ask for you to move us beyond the shallow waters and to lead us into the depth of Jesus. Lord, I ask you to bring your people into yourself. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So you want to be a Christian. There are some things you should consider before you make that final decision. And many of you would say, oh, I'm already a Christian, but you haven't made the final decision yet. It's still down the road. And you need to know what's down the road, what it really means to be a Christian. I think of of the story of Cain and Abel as Cain rose up and murdered his brother in malice, in jealousy, bitterness of heart. But there's another side of the story to Cain that we need to consider in all fairness to him. He was a religious man. He acknowledged that God was the ruler of heaven and earth. He built an altar that took time and energy. And then on that altar, he brought his offering from his labor. Now, we understand by looking carefully at the scriptures and the Hebrew words that it was not that he did not bring a lamb. It was that he was stingy with God. Now, Whatever it was, his offering was not accepted by God. It was a pleasing offering, but no fire fell on it. It was the fat portions of Abel's offering upon which the fire fell. If you think about the children of Israel during the time of Jesus. They had the beautiful Herod's temple. The walls were huge. I've seen some of the stones out of that wall. They were monstrous. It was a very impressive place. The rituals, the clothing, the music, it was all very pleasing. But when Jesus came to his temple, they rejected him. They did not expect a humble man from Galilee. They expected a king with all of the 
the dress and the sound and fury and the marching soldiers. And Jesus was rejected and crucified. Well, today, in our churches, we have, again, the beautiful architecture. We have the vestments. We have all of the music. Is it all pleasing to God? See, there's a dramatic difference between what our soul, our flesh, will create and what God has called for. The Lord said to the children of Israel, I wish you would just close your doors and stop the offerings because I don't like them. I hate them. I suspect that today the same thing is true. I was recommended to watch a pastor from the West Coast, a gigantic mega church. I watched him in action as he wore his smart T-shirt and jeans. I watched him as he held that huge audience in the palm of his hand laughing right on cue, knowing when to insert a bit of humor. He was a masterful speaker. The problem was, what he was speaking was just straight humanism. It was not the gospel of Jesus, but it was being accepted by the congregation as the word of God. He would sprinkle a text in every once in a while like, Robert Schuller used to, speaking about self-esteem. Well, self-esteem used to be considered not a virtue, but a vice. Self-esteem was considered to be pride. And the gospel of Jesus calls for the pride to be broken, to be removed. So as I look at this picture, I recognize that today in the church, we can have beautiful choirs and robes and and concerts, and we can have the keyboards, and we can have the drums, and we can have the beautiful architecture. I'd love to walk into into the National Cathedral. I'd love to walk down that long aisle love to see the stained glass windows. I particularly like the moon rock window. It actually has a portion of the actual moon inserted into the glass. I love the rose window. But you see, all of those are aesthetically beautiful. I love the the sound of an orchestra. Someday I'd like to worship with the background of an orchestra. But all of that is simply aesthetics. It's not what Jesus is about. It hides the true essence of what it means if you want to be a Christian. Now, you can go and sit in your beautiful sanctuary. Nothing wrong with that. 
You can listen to the masterful voice of the preacher as his tones go up and down as he gives a little joke now and then to keep you coming along and he can teach his lesson as he chooses. That's not what the gospel's about. It's not what the life of a Christian is about. In Galatians, the second chapter, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And so we have to consider very seriously that the Christian faith is about crucifixion. It's about dying and being born from above. Some of you have thought you entered into the Christian life because you said a little sinner's prayer and the preacher said, now you're saved and you've gone on your way and, and you're able to hang with the world and you're able to hang with Jesus on Sundays or Saturdays. And, and hey, what's not to love about this? I get all the bennies of going to heaven and I have all the bennies of the world and the flesh and the devil. I have my video games. I have my my clubs, I have my my videos, I have my movies, I have my I I can say I have everything. I and I have Jesus too. No, it's not gonna work that way, my friend. That's not what it's about. I've been speaking to you this week about a patriarch, Jacob. The patriarch Jacob. He was under the law, under Laban, 20 years. And finally, the Lord spoke to him and said, Arise and get thee out of this bondage. Now let's be clear today about what the true bondage is. The true bondage is the self-life. The true bondage is the sin that I have entered into being a son of Adam. You see, you don't have to do anything to be lost. But you do have to do something to be saved. Shall I say that again? You do not have to do anything to be lost and go to hell. You already, all of humanity is already assigned to hell. There is no good thing in us. But that promise in Genesis 3.15 said that God would come and he would put enmity between the woman and the devil, that he would open a small opening, the possibility for the human race to come out of its bondage under Satan 
and be set free and live free in Jesus. But to do that, we would have to be crucified with Christ. And, of course, he came as our atoning sacrifice and died on Calvary for us. That death on Calvary opened a window for you to become a Christian. But to become a Christian means you're going to have to go through the total, final breaking of the human spirit, of the human flesh, of the soul. Now, I want to say, how do I say it? Many of you who are listening have begun the journey, the pilgrimage toward heaven. And I'm very grateful that you have begun that pilgrimage. Some of you are just now hearing the word, Arise, get thee out of this bondage. You've been listening to this broadcast and you know you're going to have to leave your sin. You know you're going to have to be transformed and changed into a new person. Well, many of you still find yourself in bondage, bondage to sin. And that's going to have to change. You're going to have to come into entire consecration to God. At Bethel, as Jacob lay on the ground, his head on a rock, And the heavens opened up, and the Lord spoke to him. And we learn in the New Testament with Nathaniel that the Lord is that ladder between heaven and earth. That consecration, that beginning process, you can abort. And many have aborted that conversion process by becoming Laodicea kinds of Christians. Lukewarm, not really with God, not against God. Like Cain, religious but not Christian. But we've come to a place where the Holy Spirit is calling for that full crucifixion. It means a sacrifice of everything you are and everything you have given to God. Now, Jacob began to yield these things as he decided he would send forth, and I believe at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he would send forth his droves of sheep or cattle, goats, as gifts he sent them to Laban. But in fact, he was giving them to the Lord God of heaven. The Lord had carefully weighed Jacob 
and he had uncovered all that Jacob was. And now he's bringing Jacob into a place where he will begin to release that into the hand of God. When we read in the scriptures the prayer of Jacob as he is terrified before his brother. Well, let me read it for you. It's found in Genesis 32. He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. That was his prayer. Now, what he doesn't know yet is that it's not Esau that he must be afraid of. It is God he must be afraid of because God is now going to take him the rest of the way in his consecration. And God wants to take you the rest of the way in your consecration. He wants to dwell in you. Jesus wants to dwell in you. It was make or break time for Jacob. It was win it all or lose it all. He was either going to have a complete victory or destruction. It's vital that you understand you face the same test. If you're going to be totally consecrated to God, if you're going to have Jesus dwell in you, He's going to take you to the same place. He takes all of his disciples to that place. There is no middle ground with Jesus. There is no half measure. There is there is the risk. It is a great risk to entirely pass oneself over to the unknown and eternal will of God. This is a very serious act on your part. I have had people say to me, Pastor, I'm afraid to do it because I don't know what God is going to ask me to do. I can tell you now, he will ask for everything. And he wants to make you into a new person. We don't know what the purpose of God will be for your life. A superficial Christian cannot serve the Lord God of heaven. Someone who simply likes the fancy dress, the pretty church, the music. I hear people say, oh, I love the 
I love the new music that's coming out because it lifts me into the presence of God. No, it doesn't. It's no more holy with all of the worldly touches. And I just have to say, I am terrified by the modern music of the Christian church because it has all of the same elements that the worldly music has. And it lifts a person emotionally. It lifts a person's sentiments. It excites the soul. But it doesn't convict the heart of sin. So I've I've been in congregations, large congregations, where this music is being played and everybody is up and they're waving their hands and they're dancing. Terrified me. Because when the music stopped, there were no tears of confession. There was no brokenness. Even among those I knew who were in the meeting, who I knew were in great sin before the Almighty, they were comfortable in their sin. They just worshiped God and and they lifted their hands before the throne of God and they were comfortable. And their worship was not accepted by Almighty God any more than Cain's worship was accepted. Their worship was no more accepted than where the Jews worshiped when Jesus was there. It was not acceptable worship because it did not consist of holiness. It did not consist of a soul being broken before God and admitting and confessing the sin and getting right with God. There was none of that present. It was worldly music with some sacred words. But there was nothing sacred about the music. Now what we face is being crucified with Christ. Jacob is left alone. His family, his children, his wives have all crossed over. The herds have all crossed over. And now he's by himself. And suddenly a man grabs him. I don't know what Jacob thought. Did he think it was Esau coming in the night? They began to wrestle one against another. It was not so much Jacob wrestling with God. It was God wrestling with Jacob. Finally, almost morning, they have wrestled all night. He touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh, his hip joint, and he throws it out of joint. And now we find Jacob weakened and in the hands of Almighty God. He is left alone with God. In the final analysis, It's not going to be you and that wonderful congregation. It's not going to be you and that musician that you love so dearly. It's going to be you and God. Two persons. 
God draws us away from things and all other creatures. He will settle all questions of destiny directly with the soul, apart from the secondary law or agent. It is you by yourself before Almighty God that is going to have to answer to Almighty God. Jacob's only path to victory was if he was willing to completely subject himself to the Lord God of heaven. All that long night, the Son of God wrestled with every power of Jacob's nature. He reduced his energies, his self-will, his self-planning, his self-desire, his self-esteem, till his spiritual bones were broken. And then to cut the work short, because dawn was coming, he touched him in the hip and made him a limping picture of weakness. It's our strength that God must hew away in order to bless us. Isaiah said, the lame take the prey. He who is perfectly conquered by the Lord cannot be conquered by anything else. But if God does not conquer us, we are an easy prey to a thousand foes. The soul that is thoroughly subjected by the Lord will march or limp triumphantly through the earth. He will appear as weak as an infant, but he will be invincible. This is such a hard, a hard thing to get a hold of. Because all of our lives we've been told to be strong, to be mighty, to be overcomers, to be, to be successful, to go out in the world and do what we need to do. We've been told, you can do it. I can't tell you how many times as a child I heard pastors and teachers and Older people say to us young people, you're the hope of tomorrow. You're going to do great things when you grow up. And they build into us an expectation that we would somehow be great when we grew up. God has had to come to me and cut all that foolishness out of my heart. I did not grow up to be someone great. I grew up to be a servant of Jesus Christ. I grew up to serve him, to be at his bid and call. I thought I was supposed to be somebody great, and so in my early years, I sought every opportunity. I took every opportunity that came my way. I was a heel grabber. I'm ashamed of that now, because all of those opportunities to speak in front of thousands of people did not accomplish what God wanted to accomplish. We need to be very careful when we speak about revival. Because revival can simply be an excited man or woman in the flesh and get a whole crowd excited. And the devil can inject a little bit of his occult spirit, kundalini spirit, and suddenly we have miracles happening. 
and now everybody's coming and rushing there because they want a part of this great revival. But there's no holiness there. There's no confession of sin there. We have to be very careful. We have to understand what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is not to walk down the street in a in a handsome suit and have everybody look at us and say, now there's a great man. And neither is it to walk down the street in our T-shirt and jeans and a swagger about us and have people look at us and say, hey, there's a, there's a cool man. He knows where he's headed. It's all flesh. It's all foolishness. It doesn't account for anything in the kingdom of God. There has to come a place where we're willing to let God finish this work of consecration in our hearts. Where he calls us to humble our hearts. To give up our pride. To give up our intense desire to be somebody. To be successful. To be rich to be acknowledged, to be recognized, to have the things of this world, the cars and the houses, the vacations. This is not my home. Heaven is my home. Do you understand? We're here but a short time, and then it's over, and we're gone. And where do we go? Heaven or hell? Again, we don't have to do anything and end up in hell. But we're going to have to do something very profound and very real if we want to go to heaven. We are going to have to bring our life and lay it fully upon the altar of God Romans, the 12th chapter. We're going to have to be living martyrs before the throne of God. Living martyrs. Fully at the call of Jesus and at the service of Jesus. This is what Jacob is discovering. Imagine the sounds of that night. And the agony of that night as the blows are, are laid heavy. As his strength gives way. As his self-esteem of being a strong man. Remember Jacob when he met Rachel. He went up immediately and rolled that huge stone away from the well. Only a strong man could have done that. None of the other shepherds could manage it. Jacob was a very powerful, physical man. But he was no match for Jesus, for the God of heaven. And so he is thoroughly subjected by the Lord. He can now only limp he is 
injured? You see, the innermost and uttermost confession must be Lord, you are my God, and I am all yours. And I will wait upon you, and I will rest in you. The Lord finally said to Jacob, What is your name? He said, Jacob. What a vast difference there is between confessing the mere actions and confessing the innermost character of the being. In Hebrew literature, a name stands to represent the character of that which is named. Jacob names himself the heel grabber. That is the essential nature of Jacob. Could I say this kindly? You are a heel grabber also. You were born a heel grabber, as was I. We are all heel grabbers. Eve reached out and grabbed that fruit. And then Adam reached out and took the fruit from his wife. And they ate it, and that one sin cast the earth into total bondage unto the devil. And now Jesus comes, and instead of grabbing, he comes and gives his life as an atoning sacrifice for you and for me. He gives us everything. He is not a supplanter. He is not a heel grabber. He is a giver. outward act of grabbing the heel of his brother has been confessed and the pardon for his sin granted this con this confession is absolutely necessary for you to confess every place in your life where you have become a heel grabber where you have said, I will take what I want. I will become who I want to be. I will do what I want to do. I'm in charge of my life. This is the final step of breaking the old nature when you can honestly confess the very essence of your soul where you stop pretending that you're kind and loving and when you begin to honestly confess the hatred in your heart toward God and toward things of heaven and all of us were born with this hatred in our hearts there's not one of us listening to this broadcast who was not born with hatred in our heart toward God because we were children of the devil. 
and you too have had hatred toward God. One of the great things that I'm watching happen in our nation is that this hatred of God is rising up like a like a sewer spewing forth its ugly, ugly contents. This hatred toward God is becoming palpable in America. It's out in the open. The whole issue of abortion, the murdering of our babies, and these foolish, wicked people who claim that it's righteous to kill a baby. I just read an account of a baby left for an hour wailing as they let it die after birth. We are such a wicked nation. The lies, the fornication, the adultery, the wickedness on every side that's just spewing forth in rebellion against parents, hatred for mom and dad. It's amazing to listen to to young people living with their mom and dad in the house, being supported by mom and dad, and yet they hate their mom and dad. They think mom and dad owe them. And they're angry with their parents. They hate them. This is all end-time wickedness that is arising on every hand. Please understand that hatred in our heart toward God and toward holiness, toward righteousness, toward doing what is right, must be totally washed from our hearts by the blood of Jesus. That perverse hatred has to be dealt with. It expresses itself often in bitter anger, in hostility, in condemnation of others, in pride, arrogance. This hatred has to be dealt with. And if you've not come to terms yet with the hatred of your heart, you're going to have to be crucified with Jesus if you're going to be a Christian. The conclusion of the study is Jacob's wonderful blessing. He's been cleansed by God in the night of wrestling. His name has been changed from heel grabber, hater. It's been changed to Israel. That is, a prince of God, an overcomer. There's been a complete change that God has performed through that night of struggle. God is the one who comes and performs the amazing change in our hearts. We cannot expel the hatred toward God on our own. We're going to have to confess that to God. 
and maybe even confess it to a brother or sister. And we're going to have to let the mighty presence of the Spirit who walks beside us, who calls us to righteousness, we're going to let him deal with us in the strongest possible way. There must be a complete cleansing from depravity. There's no hint in Scripture that anyone can have the full baptism of the Spirit and yet continue to have this inbred sin remaining in them. It was not simply an empty earthly title that the Lord put on Jacob, but a divine assurance wrought in his soul. He was from that time in reality a prince of God. Now, to have that happen, you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that allows the Holy Spirit now to come into us and work out this gift of righteousness. It is the Holy Spirit that comes in and burns out that old man, and it is a battle. But it's a battle that must be won. Now, the Holy Spirit came into me when I was in college, because of my lack of teaching and lack of understanding and my rebellious heart, I did not let the Holy Spirit have his complete way. For me, it's taken time to let the Holy Spirit have his full way in me. You see, the difference between the Old and the New Covenant, in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit only walked beside para. But in the New Covenant, his desire is to come in and dwell in us. The Holy Spirit wants to live in you. Now, there was an endowment of power with this increased presence of the Holy Spirit that was with Jacob. Thou hast power with God and with man and hast prevailed. This is what the Lord said to him. This gift of pure divine unction is beyond all measurable and created force. It is far beyond all science or comprehension of man. It is entirely supernatural. It is like an investment that God makes in the soul of a man or woman when he brings them to that place of complete breaking, a complete consecration. After Jacob is thoroughly crucified, he receives power from God. Self has been swept away. Now there's a mysterious power of God in his heart. Influencing him, walking with him, 
he meets Esau. And suddenly this vindictive man who has come to kill Jacob with 400 soldiers weeps like a child conquered by an unknown force. Now you notice that as Jacob goes to other places, people are afraid of him. Enemies are afraid of him. He has met God face to face. He probably did not recognize the strange wrestler as as the personal Jehovah until the final end when he became very aware. Now, I want to read a scripture to you again. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the assurance. We have something even more powerful than Jacob was offered. God walked with Jacob. He influenced enemies to be fearful of him. But we have the promise that Jesus will actually come and live in us. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And then in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we are led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Do not be deceived, verse 7. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Today I ask you, have you been born from above? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now I thought for many years the baptism of the Holy Spirit was simply the coming of power for revival, and it is that at some point at the will of God. And we can pray for that, and I do. But I recognize the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in me when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know that because your spirit testifies with the Holy Spirit that he is in you, dwelling in you, and has totally changed your nature. And you now have love for the things of God. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? That's all the time we have for this broadcast today. Next week, I am going to go with you, starting on Monday, much more into the New Testament as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit and his dwelling in us. And as we look at right doctrine, right thinking about God, 
I'm glad you've listened today. I ask, please send it to a friend. Let them listen as well. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'm eager to hear from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. That's Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. It's a new webpage right now, and all of the broadcasts are up. I think you'll find them helpful. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also give online. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Digital.